Can I ask Matt to come and join me as we get ready for the word this morning? Awesome. Guys, we are in week three of a series called Love Out Loud, where we take a deeper look into the words of Jesus from the cross, how his last sermon, his shortest sermon, carried so much of the Father's heart and his love towards us. And I really want to encourage you, as I said, it is a season of ebb and flow with so many weekends and holidays and stuff. If you miss out on any of these seven words, I really want to encourage you to go to YouTube. We still record the messages. It's not live streamed, but on Mondays, you can catch up. It's worthwhile. It's a journey that we are on. And this morning, Matt's going to preach the third word. But I want us to pray for Matt before he preaches this morning. Um, Some of you know that he's been through a tough seven weeks, seven weeks of health uh, challenges. And then this week, uh, Sibu, Matt's wife, lost her grandmother in uh, Zim, and they had to go up to Zimbabwe, only arrived back last night to go and say goodbye. You know what I love about servant leadership is that even in our darkest days, you get people who say, no, I still want to preach the word because God has given me this word to preach. He's been preparing and he said, no, I'm going to be there on Sunday morning, even though Sibu is sick this morning and not feeling strong, and it's been a hard week, and would you believe he's preaching on the topic of family, so they've been through it this week. But I want us to pray for him. When you preach the word, you carry something for a while until that word is released. And there's a spiritual war on behalf of the people in the church in preparation. So the way we receive the word is helping Matt to bring it across. But let's pray for God's sustaining strength and for him to be clear in what he has prepared in his heart as he honors Christ through his word this morning. So Lord, we thank you for Matt. We thank you for Sibu. We thank you for the McConnies. Lord, thank you for their faithfulness in this community. Lord, and that Matt has faithfully said yes to continue preaching after a very hard season. I know, Lord, that you have anointed this man to bring your word, a word in season. So I just pray, Lord, that you would sustain him now, that he would be able to minister out of the overflow, out of the devotion that he has towards you. May he experience you being the preacher that you used this morning. And may your word and your spirit be so present in our midst. Lord, we pray for them as a family that as they continue to walk through the turmoil of grief and saying goodbye to family and just health and restoration, Lord, be their God as they reach out to you like we all did this morning. May you heal them and touch them. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, my friend. Thank you, Pierre. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. As Pierre said, a few weeks ago I had emergency surgery and um, I remember two weeks after the surgery I was really struggling with managing the pain and fevers and all the things that come with recovering from surgery. And I think about the third week my wife suggested that I go to see the surgeon and get just some advice on what to do. Uh, The surgeon is a very busy guy, he's at Medi Clinic in Somerset West, so I couldn't get an immediate appointment to see him. So we had a further discussion and then she said, why don't you just go to the pharmacy? Um, And so we got into the car and I drove to Waterstone, um, Discam. When I got there, um, as I was parking my car, Pierre actually called me just to check up on me and he was like, "Ah, how are you doing? And I said, dude, I'm actually... I'm battling here, right? It's, it's not easy. And I said, I'm actually at Waterstone. I'm about to get into this game. Um, I have it in my heart to go and see Corbus. 
Um, for those of you who don't know, our friend Cobus works at Discam. It's a Discam, right? Not Clicks, it's Discam, right? Clicks, Mediclinic, at a pharmacy at Waterstone. <laughs> I just go there a lot, right? <laughs> so, um, there are maybe three or four pharmacies close to our house, but we drive past all of them to go and see that man over there. And um, I spoke to Pierre, and Pierre said, well, he normally also fixes a little concussion for me to help me out, ask for that. And so I went to see Kobus. He mixed up some drugs. <laughs> he drugged me out. And a week or two later, I was feeling much better. So I want to honor him this morning. Kobus, if you could stand. If you could stand, we, we want to honor you. And, and, and I have it in my heart also just to honor all the people in the family who are in any sort of medical care, right? whether you're a doctor or you're a nurse, or you work even at the reception in a facility where people are assisted, if you are a physiotherapist, if you help people with mental health, I know you've got the academic qualification to help people when they're in pain. I know you have the experience to also help them, but there's something about people of faith when God places them in these occupations that God gives them an extra level to be able to help people. So God bless you and your families, and to God be the glory. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I just brought business to your pharmacy. <laughs> this was not a marketing stunt. <laughs> We're continuing with our series, Love Out Loud, and we are talking about the cross and the importance of what happens at the cross and the words that Jesus says as his final words to us as he is bearing the pain of carrying the punishment that was supposed to be ours. And the cross is so important for us because we need to understand that from the beginning of time right up to the birth of Christ, everything in the Old Testament, everything that the prophets said, everything was pointing towards that moment on the cross. When the prophets saw it, they said they would see visions and they would say, we saw this lamb as if it was slain. The psalmist would write and say, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. In Genesis 3 verse 15, he talks about, there is someone who is coming who shall be bruised, and he will bruise your head. There is Abraham going to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah, and then the Bible says, but God shall provide a lamb. So there's so many scriptures, and even the prophets would, would, would prophesy and say, look, they sing pictures and signs and wonders, and they had no understanding of what was coming, but it was the coming of Calvary. And everything after Calvary now is pointing towards eternity for you, for me, and for our children. And that's why it is important for us to talk about the cross and the power of the cross. And the power of the cross is not just another great story, another emotional story, another something that we do during Easter. It is the foundational, the foundational piece of our relationship with Christ, that God himself, who was fully God and fully man, left eternity to come down to be the final sacrifice and appropriation for our sins, that we might have eternal relationship with God. And we thank him for that. And so today we're going to be looking at, a, at an interesting piece of scripture, and it's in John chapter 19. The title of today's sermon is The Absence of the Crowds by the Presence of Family. The Absence of the Crowds by the Presence of Family. So in John chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, please um, flip over there. We're going to be reading. And for context, 
Jesus is now on the cross. He's now being crucified. They have gone ahead. They have, you know, given out his clothes and they've split them amongst themselves. They've given him vinegar. They've pierced him on the side. And this is one of his closest and last moments before he goes to the Father. In verse 24, this is when they've rent out his garments. But from verse 25, he says, Now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clepus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that very hour, that disciple took her into his house. So near to the cross, right at the end, there stood his mother. His mother's sister, that's his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clepus, and Mary Magdalene. And it looks from the scripture that John, the disciple who Jesus loved, was right there. And then Jesus says to his mother, to Mary, woman, behold your son. And says to John, John, there is your mom. And he says from that time on, John basically adopted her and brought her into his house. Right at the end, who was present? His family. Right at the end, at his point of suffering, at his lowest point of feeling human pain and separation and bearing the sin of all mankind, he was fully man, so he felt every single pierce, every single blow. He felt those thorns in his, in his crown. He felt every single... He was thirsty. He said on the cross, I'm thirsty. At that moment of weakness, who was there? His family. Guess who was not there? The crowds. We'll back up a little bit just to give a little bit of context to John chapter 2. And some of you will remember Jesus' first miracle. Kids' church, what was God's first, Jesus' first miracle? Turning water to wine, and all the people in the wineland said, Amen. This Jesus, very first miracle, he goes to a wedding. And the Bible says in John chapter 2 that there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and guess who was there right at the beginning of his ministry? His mother. So his mother had been invited, disciples invited, gets there, and they run out of wine. And so his mom goes to him and says, Jesus, hoy them a miracle. And Jesus said, do you know what? My time has not yet come. And so the miracle happens. People have wine. People have fun. And he's in that place, and many miracles happen. So in chapter 2, if we scroll down, what then happens if you have started doing miracles if you've never been exposed and people start to talk about you. Back then, it wasn't like nowadays where people will trend and your information will go viral and so forth. Information moved a little, little slower. But however, because of the miracles that Jesus started to do, people started to talk about him. Hey, do you know what happened at that wedding? We'd run out of water. The servants are saying, there's a guy who pointed at this and so forth. Like, That's not true. It's true. Did it really, you did, he's actually around. Go and see him. And people started to come like piercing. People started to come. And some came to, just to see, is, is it real? Is, is that guy, you know? And some people said, and that guy is a great teacher. 
You know, when he talks, he talks really amazing stuff. Let's, let's go hear him out. And some people, hey, he actually heals as well. Oh, I've got a brother who's not feeling well. Let's, let's take him. You know, and the crowd started to congregate around him. And you can imagine the crowd around this guy, right? He doesn't have a mic like me. So when I've got a mic, everyone lis- literally is listening to the sound of my voice. But I can imagine in my head that somewhere in the crowd, people are like, his voice isn't that great. Or I'm like, do you know what? He's not what I expected, you know? Well, uh, do you know what? I might, do you know what? You know? What does that mean? What, what is he talking about? And there's all these mumblings and talkings and this in the crowd. And eventually the crowd begin to accept him. The crowd begin to actually realize that this guy, there must be something special about this guy. And eventually the crowd starts to say to each other, hey, this guy's a great prophet. Hey, did you see he just healed that blind guy? Oh my gosh, I know that chap, he couldn't hear. Hey, I used to sit next to that guy, he couldn't walk. Wait a minute, I think this guy might just be the son of God. And then they start to praise him. And they start to say, wait a minute, this guy is actually the king of kings. Do you know what, this guy is awesome. This guy is amazing. This guy is great. There is no one like this guy. And they start to give him praise and to love him and to give themselves unto him. But something amazing happens in chapter 2. And I'll read. And this is just after all these miracles, right? And Jesus is now saying unto them, I will not give myself unto you, basically. And in chapter 2, if you read, he says, Now while he was in Jerusalem, the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and believed in his name. So people now have seen these signs and they're believing in him and they say, like, do you know what? Whatever he's saying, we believe him. We want to follow him. We want to go with him. Wherever he's going, we are going to be there. But he says Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. At that very moment when people were now endorsing him, validating him, saying, do you know what? We doubted you at first. Wait a minute, we saw you. We saw you grow up. You're, you're, you're Joseph and Mary's boy. But wait a minute, now we, now we see that you're really the son of God. Do you know what? You're the king. Yeah, we, we will worship you. At that moment, Jesus had the opportunity to give himself to the crowd and sit up there and say, (laughs) yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you guys. This is what I've been trying to tell you. I am the one who was sent. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. But the Bible says that Jesus did not entrust himself to the crowd because he knew what was in a man. Do you know why? Because that same crowd that takes off their cloaks, throws them on the ground, and says, Hosanna in the highest, is exactly that same crowd that says, crucify him. Jesus knows that the crowds that surround us in our lives have their own motives. Anytime Jesus had people around him, everyone in the crowd had their own motives. There were people who needed healing. You guys know the story of the friends who came and there was such a crowd around Jesus that they couldn't get to him. So they made a plan that they would get onto the roof of the house. They would literally break the roof to get their friend who was on a mat down to Jesus. And Jesus looked up and said, this is great faith. Because there was such a crowd around him. 
There were people who would come to him and say, do you know what? I'm going to send my servant to Jesus. Just go and tell him that I've got a servant at home who is sick. The centurion, he wanted something from him. And he said, God, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. You need to speak the word only. He had a need. Pierre referred to the lady who was crawling through the crowd with an issue of blood for over 38 years, a terminal disease, pushing and shoving. She had a need. And Jesus said to his disciples, someone has touched me. And the disciples said, Jesus, how can you say that there is a crowd around you? And Jesus says, no, there is someone in particular who has touched me because power has left me. There was always a crowd around him. There was such a crowd around him that short people like me sometimes had to get on trees just to see Jesus because there was always a crowd around him. But guess what? Even in the crowd, there were people there who wanted to just to listen to him, to find his words and to find fault. There are people who would come to him and say, Jesus, here's a woman who has been caught in adultery. The law says that we should stone her. What do you say, O oh great teacher? Because they wanted to catch him at his words. They would come and say, Jesus, everyone else is fasting. Everybody else, John's disciples fast, we fast. You guys are out here having carrot cake. <laughs> What's up with that? Because they wanted to catch him at his words. All around the crowd, there were people who wanted to find and get something. There were some who just wanted to hear amazing words. There was a young man who came and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a great teacher because there is no man who can say the things that you say. They were impressed by his words in the crowd. But Jesus did not give himself to the crowd. We live in a society and in a time that we are taken and we've given ourselves to the crowds. How many followers do you have on social media? How many friends do you have around you? How many people come to your birthday? How many people endorse you? How many people greet you on a Sunday? And when you get into a room that is this empty and you don't see a crowd, you automatically think there's something wrong here. Because our society has taught us that numbers mean that something is going right. Foot traffic, number of clicks, number of visits to a website, number of people who come to the, to the game, number of ratings, number of friends, number of people at your wedding, number of people at this event. We think that numbers, that a crowd means that something is going right. And whenever we see a small crowd, our inclination is that there's something that is going wrong. Do you know what the writer of the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 18? that a man of many friends soon comes to ruin. There is something about crowds that we need to think about. Not everyone in your life, everyone who is surrounding you right now is there for your benefit. There are a lot of people in your life that are surrounding you who only want something from you. And when they get it, a lot of them don't come back. And that's why Jesus healed 10 lepers, 10 of them. They came because they had a disease that was incurable at the time. And no one would even go and bother to go and give them some flowers, go and give them some fruits. And people would keep them outside of society. And they heard about this man who would touch even the leprous with his bare hands. And the leprosy would leave immediately and they would be clean. And so these ten came with their need to Jesus. 
And Jesus healed them. And the nine of them went, but one came back. And Jesus asked them, why did you, the one, come back? Because do you know what? The other nine had come, had gotten what they want, and they'd left. But this one came back. And guess what happens as we get to the scripture that we're talking about now? Jesus starts to talking about John chapter 10, John chapter 9, about his crucifixion. And he starts to tell them, guys, all of this has been great, okay? I've healed your sick. I have raised the dead. I have given you great words. All of this is amazing. But this actually is not the reason why I came. I am actually going to die. And he says, this body of mine, this is going to be the bread that will be broken. This blood of mine is the blood and the wine that shall be shed on Calvary. But guess what? After three days, God will resurrect this temple. And some of the people found these words very heavy. Like Jesus, we, we thought we were having a party. I thought we were, we were, we were enjoying ourselves. I thought we were, we were out here getting famous and people were busy fighting for seats. Like Jesus, when, when you become king, you know, uh, can I be at your right hand and uh, can my brother be at your left hand? Can I be the minister of uh, sports and agriculture? And uh, can I, people were fighting for seats because they all wanted something. But Jesus is now turning the table and he says, do you know what? All of it, this is great. But I am actually going to be on the losing side. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be suffering. And people are going to scatter. And at that moment, the crowd starts mumbling again. Like, what is this guy talking about? I told you about this Jesus of yours. I knew it from the beginning. I told you you couldn't sustain this. This was never good. This was never going to end well anyway. Who is this guy? I told you I saw him growing up from the next street. We used to play soccer together. He's, he's, a, he's the son of Mary and Joseph. We know this guy. And slowly, that crowd began to disappear. And the Bible, as it tells us, through the Synoptic Gospels, that he's crucified, that he has to carry his own cross, that he is bleeding, that he is suffering, and the crowd has now disappeared. All those people who had been healed, who had received what they wanted, all those people who had received miracles, not one of them put their hand up and said, do you know what? I am here to testify and say, this guy is not guilty. Um, I was there, and this is what happened, and I am willing to give my life for him because he did something for me. When the time was hardest, when the time was most difficult, the crowd disappeared. When I was in surgery, one of the things that I learned was that I was able to quickly distinguish who the crowd in my life is and who family is. I have some friends who are very close in proximity, who up to now haven't even come to see me, and this is week seven, week eight. I have some friends in the church who the moment they heard that I was going into surgery, that very night came to my house, came with some dinner, offered to do the school run. They're friends from my life group or our follow group who I have been trying to keep away from my house. 
Like literally every day, can we come and see you? Can we come and see you? Can we come and see you? What happens at your moment of weakness is you actually start to see the crowd in your life disappear. And do you know who remains? Your family. And the problem that we have now is most of the time we spend a lot of time investing and entrusting our time, our money, our efforts in the crowd and not our family. At one of his last moments, Jesus looks down from the cross and he endorses the importance of family. There's a story that I was told growing up that there was a guy who was a pastor at a local church like this and when he got to church, you know, everyone would greet him. Like, hey, good morning, John. Hey, hey, brother John. Hey, John, how was your week? Hey, John, hey, what's up, John? Can we do a bride next week, John? And he was like this really popular guy in the church, right? And he was sitting there and, you know, with his kids always in the front, looking like that holy, perfect family that's always in the front row, you know, and this was like John, the most popular guy in church. And so there were other kids in the back. And when the kids went out, you know, some of the other kids said, you know, to his kids, you guys are so lucky that your dad is so awesome. I mean, everyone in church loves him. We wish that our parents were like your dad. And the kids said, do you know what? Our dad is just that way around people. He's not like that at home. He has entrusted all his effort and all his money and all his time to the crowd and not to his family. Do you know there are men here and in society who spend more time with their friends on weekends and during the week than they do with their family. There are people who spend more of their money on their hobbies with friends and work colleagues and business trips than they do with their family. There are people who find their families boring, tiresome, just as an add-on in their lives. But here Jesus is saying that crowd that is around you that crowd that seems to always be pressing for your time, always making you busy, always filling your diary, that crowd when the time gets tough begins to disappear. Because whatever they found in you is not there anymore. But who remains? Your family. So at this point Jesus says, woman, here is your son. And to John, here is your mother. Interesting thing about this is we know from the culture of the day, we assume that Joseph is dead. So the eldest son had the responsibility to look after the mother. Right? You take over the, the house, you take over the running of the estate, and you become the head of the house. And it was your responsibility to look after your mother and to be a father to your siblings. We also know from scripture that Mary had other children. We know that Mary actually once visited Jesus whilst he was preaching with Jesus' brothers and sisters. So it was very easy for Jesus to actually say, Mom, uh, Jude, and James will take care of you. But something that Jesus does which is amazing is he looks at his mother from the cross and says to someone who was not his biological brother, Mother, this is your son. And to someone who was not his biological brother, John, behold your mother. What does this teach us? That family is not just about DNA. 
Family is not about DNA. And you'll find it also particularly in your hard times that some of your close cousins, some of your sisters, and some of your more closer relatives that you expected to bail you out, like all you needed was 3,500 rand. That's all you needed. And here he is, Uncle Simeon. You know he's a millionaire. All you need is 3,500 rand, but he will not give you that. But if you go his, to his house, he will take out a wine bottle that costs 45,000 for you to drink together. <laughs> and then you will ask poor Danny. And Danny has 3,600 rand in his account. And he will take 3,500 out to help you out. And he needs to go home and explain to his beautiful wife why they have 100 rand for the rest of the month. And that is life. Life shows you what family is. I remember as I closed this morning that a couple of years ago, my younger sister had um, an ear infection. And I was with her and she was about to go back to work. And I'm not a doctor by any means. We had no idea what it was. She just said, my head is painful and she's crying and this and that. And I remember during that time that you know how when, when something's wrong, you send messages to, to friends and to relatives and so forth. And we're like, guys, help us pray because Audrey's not feeling well, right? The very first people who responded, very first people who responded were church family. Am I saying today that our biological family is not good? No. Am I saying that we should not love and, 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 and protect and, and look after our biological family? No. What I'm saying is that God has given us the gift of family. And from the cross, he was showing us the importance of family. But let us not put a box to what family is. The Bible tells us that God actually puts even the widows and the orphans and the lonely into family. That the church gives us an opportunity to be able to become one family. That we have the opportunity as we sit as a congregation to support each other, to pray for each other, to visit each other, to help each other out as family. This is the time that you need to be thinking and searching in your heart and saying, have I been a good family member to my biological family and to the rest of the family in the church? Some of us are concerned with just our own well-being. But the Bible says here that from that day going forward, from that day going forward, John took her into his household. What it means is John basically took over the estate. He said, this woman, I'm going to take care of your needs. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to find out what's wrong. I'm going to come and visit you. I'm going to pay the bill. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to support you in good times and in bad times. And this is the word for today. Let's move away from the crowds. Let's not spend time endorsing and finding our fulfillment and our identity from the crowds. Some of us are depressed when we don't get likes on a post. Have you heard, guys, the story of the lady who went and she committed suicide overseas because no one liked her post? That is exactly what is going on in this society. We are so depressed if you're not popular, if you don't have how many people following you and greeting you. But do you know what? These crowds, they come and they go. Do not entrust them because one day they will be absent. But do you know who will be present? Your family. 
Some of us here have pushed family away. Some of us have said, I don't get along with my brother. Have you had people who say that? Now, nah, me and my brother, we, we're not cool. You know, my mom said something a couple of years ago, and you know what, I, I, we don't really have a relationship. You know, uh, auntie so-and-so, she, she's the one in the family that no one wants to talk to. Like, because, you know, she's always spoiling every event. She comes there and she, she does whatever she wants, and, you know, no one really likes her. We don't even invite her anymore, you know. This child that I have, this is the most rebellious child that I have. Like, we've done everything. We've paid his school fees. We, we've invested into him. But now he, he wants to go and play football, you know, after, you know, he could have done engineering. And you have put some of your family away. But you know what? Right at the cross, closest to Jesus, was his family. And maybe today some of us need to go back and say, my biological family, who have I neglected? Who have I written off? Who have I said, look, this person is not important anymore? Or do you know what, I'll, you know, whatever happens in their life, that's that. That family, you must be standing right there next to them when they're in their moment of need. Because Jesus is pointing to us that importance at that moment, the importance is for us to take care of our families. And just as a final thought, I wanted to close with this. Some of us may also need to pray today and say, God, open up my eyes that I might be able to see who I need to adopt into my family. Maybe you have the capacity, and Jesus is saying to you, Eugene, behold John. Mary, behold Tafadzwa. Gracious, behold Peter. Jesus is maybe saying to some of us today, that we need to open our eyes and behold someone. I've got a friend of mine in this church, and I won't mention his name, but he has a, a lady who works at, um, uh, at their house. She's a helper there. And we, we were invited to their house one day to, to watch football. And we were speaking to um, their parents. So these are our friends, their parents. And we, we were there, and our kids played together. Uh, don't want to give you guys too many clues, but um, as we were at their house having a braai, their dad was telling me about um, this lady who works at their house and their husband who has basically done everything on their property. Like they've done the, 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 the vegetables, you know, the places where the kids play and so forth. And the dad was saying, you know, this person, we consider them as family. And they came from the country that they came from, they couldn't get a job, they were poor and so forth, but we, we decided to take them in as family and they've been working here for years. And we decided to say to them, look, bring your wife over, bring your children over, we're going to help you to get legal documentation to stay in the country. And they said, we actually footed their children's school fees throughout and now the children are graduating. So here's a family that had capacity and God spoke to them and they looked at another family that was suffering, that had no opportunity. And they basically said, we are going to adopt this family and we are going to support them. And can you believe that the day that these children support, graduate, yes, their biological parents are there and they're thankful and they love them, but there is someone else who Jesus spoke to and said, behold your son, behold 
your mother. And from that day forth, when Jesus and God had impressed on their hearts, they have taken care of these people. Some of us today have to ask God and say, I have this extra time. Who can I mentor? I have this extra space in my car. Who can I give a lift? I have these extra cookies that I bake. Who can I bless? I have this extra financial capacity. Who can I assist? I have these extra minutes of prayer. Who can I uphold in prayer? Because Jesus is saying he wants to open up our eyes so that we see that these crowds will become absent, but the family will always be present. Amen. Sure, that was um, very encouraging. And um, what I love about this word and how Matthew preached it is that we've got to listen to Jesus. If you look around this building and just look up and look at the people around us, even here we could just be amidst a crowd. But if you've taken time, maybe you're new to the community, to say, Jesus, show me. Who can I start a conversation with? Who can I open my heart to? Um, it's one of the tensions of leading a church because you kind of feel like whew, it's my job to set up friendships here <laughs> for everyone to be well taken care of. But you know where those friendships are formed? It's as we follow Jesus together. That's why we have follow groups. And many of you aren't even in follow groups because you're like, I'm not sure that I've got another hour a week to sit with the Bible with some men or a few women with some women and go through the word together, but that's where family is formed. That's where we take that next step. That's where we give ourselves beyond the crowd on a Sunday to spiritual family. Psalm 68 verse 6, the Lord places the lonely in families. And the greatest expression of family beyond our natural family, because I realize in this room some of you have much brokenness there, is this expression. So this word really leads us to take action. It leads us to leave here this morning saying, I'm going to start a conversation with someone I haven't chatted to at church yet. Maybe you need to take that step. And I know for the introverts, this is ridiculously scary to say, hey, hello, my name is Pierre. <laughs> But just try it. You might just be massively surprised. But maybe this morning you realize, I need to get in that, into that close community. I need to be in the follow group where we follow Jesus together, where we grow together, because it's in that place that we will behold each other and become true spiritual family. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you, as I pray, to think about your next step. Sometimes we preach the word and there's great ministry and responses, but this morning I believe it's real practical. God, what can I do to respond to this moment where Jesus said, you know what? Connecting in me is of essential value. It was so essential to him that he said it from the cross. Connection and community and spiritual family is something that I value. So let me show you, church, how to do it. Behold one another, reach out to one another, adopt one another, love one another, and walk with one another. So this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach each one of us what our next step is. Lord, I believe that there's some deep hurts in this room where we've been disappointed in the past because we truly haven't trusted ourselves to others and they have let us down. 
Lord, and like earlier this morning, you can heal those hurts when we reach out to you. And I pray, Lord, that those hurts will not hold us back because of the fear of being disappointed again, but that we would have it in us to have faith this morning that Christ, because of you and the moment of the cross, you place us into family. So I pray for every nation, Halderberg this morning, Father. I pray for every nation, Zola this morning, Lord. May our churches be a place where we take this step and be true spiritual family. Lord, I pray that we would find in ourselves this week to join or to start a follow group, to say, I wanna be with like-minded people around the Bible and understand what God has called me to. I pray, Lord, that you would show us through the leading of your spirit to hear your voice, to know I need to speak to so-and-so and reach out. Maybe invite them even today for lunch, for dinner, to reach out, to love on them, to get to know them. Lord, may we not come with our list of preferences. Lord, I wonder if John responded by saying to you on the cross, you know what, that was actually not my plan. I had someone else in mind to take care of. But no, he listened to your voice. He knew that he was submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And may we as a house be super practical in hearing your voice and reaching out to those amongst us. So Lord, I pray this morning that you'll bless us as a community, that you'll bless us with the deep knowing of our Father's love, the Father in whom every family in heaven is named. Jesus, you would bless us with a reminder that around the cross, you have formed spiritual family and you called us to live in there and may you bless us this morning, Spirit of God, with the leading and the guidance to take this step to go and find spiritual family in our own lives. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.